Hey everybody, I'm Beth Davis and welcome to Teachable Tuesday where we discover God's heart and are changed by his word. And today we're starting a brand new series all about the heart. And I can't think of a better time to examine our hearts than Advent. So I'm really looking forward to what God is gonna do in the next few weeks. So let's begin by opening up our hearts and offering this time, this reflection to the Lord, inviting him in. Let's pray. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Come Holy Spirit. God, you are uh, the author, the giver of life. And I pray that in these next few weeks in this series through your word, that you would author life again in our hearts, revive our hearts this Advent. We consecrate this series and this time together to you. We consecrate ourselves to you once more, Jesus. And we thank you in advance for the gifts and the graces that you desire to give. Proverbs chapter four, verse 23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, a few years ago, I bought my first car. Now, maybe that doesn't sound like a big deal, but this was not my first inherited car. That was a lipstick red Pontiac Sunfire that was passed on to me from my very cool older brother. Thanks, Andy. And this was a far cry from even my beloved blue Hyundai Tucson that my parents co-signed for. Thanks, mom and dad. This was my car. This is the car that I'd researched for and saved for and pretty poorly bargained for. And I remember the first night I brought her home, she's a she, and I kept looking out the window to check on her to see if she was still there. It felt very vulnerable. It was like I'd left thousands of dollars sitting out in the driveway, which I kind of had. <laughs> and I'm not even a car person, but this car meant a lot to me. First of all, it was the most expensive thing I'd ever bought on my own. And it represented for me a new season in life. It was right after I moved back to Phoenix. I was beginning this new job with Blessed Is She. And I had all of these hopes and dreams for who I was gonna drive around and all of the places I was going to go. I named the car Serafina Sportage. Get it? Kia Sportage. And I got the car blessed because I'm super Catholic you know? But really, I just wanted to be a good steward of the gifts that God had given me, had entrusted to me. So I tried not to park next to cars that were really dirty or dinged up because clearly those people, they weren't as responsible as I am and they weren't as grateful for their possessions as I was. Um, I was hyper aware of every scratch and stain. Now, there's a word for that kind of attitude and behavior. No, not perfectionist, not neat freak, not someone who's too attached to this, their stuff. 
uh, the word you're looking for is vigilant. Vigilant, meaning keeping careful watch for possible danger or difficulties. That's the dictionary def definition. And I wonder if you've ever been vigilant about something. Maybe a new phone or a new house. Usually it's something expensive. But I, felt, I bet you felt that way about people too, especially little people, babies, new parents, and aunts, I can attest, can be a little jumpy when it comes to these new tiny humans uh, with all of their mysterious and urgent needs. We pay attention to and protect the things that we care about. We're vigilant about keeping safe the things and the people that matter the most. Most of the time, right? When we're aware of the value, we cherish it, whether it's a possession or a person, but then a new iPhone comes out or you rear-end somebody. That didn't happen, by the way. But maybe it's that that little person gets bigger and suddenly the miracle of their life becomes so very ordinary. Vigilance wanes when we become too familiar with the object of our attention, or when we get distracted, or in the words of the New Testament, drowsy, when we don't stay awake and watch over what matters most. But there are some things worth fighting for, right? <laughs> Something worth renewing your commitment to keeping it sacred and safe. And I want to argue today that that thing, what matters the most, the treasure above all else, is your heart. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 reads, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Or another translation says, with all vigilance, guard your heart, for in it are the sources of life. The author is urging us to focus on and fight for our hearts because the heart is not only central, it's the source of life. So hang on, why so much emphasis on the heart? Isn't that just emotional or sentimental? Well, that's certainly the way I used to think about it. This was one of those verses, Proverbs 4.23, that I memorized early on as a teenager after my conversion. But my experience of Jesus and frankly life was really limited. The highest value I held was love, a desire for love, specifically romantic love, which I associated with vocation and marriage. My value for love as the highest calling was right on, but it was disordered. So I understood Proverbs 4.23 from a limited and superficial perspective. I heard it applied to emotional chastity, aka not getting too emotionally involved with someone you're not in a committed relationship with, which is great advice, by the way. <laughs> but I was only focusing on the guard your heart part, which brought with it a fair amount of shame around my desire, my good God-given desire to give my heart away generously and freely in love. 
Instead, I thought I needed to shut down desire, to keep people at a distance because my heart couldn't be trusted. Or even worse, to punish my heart for its desire to love and be loved. I clung to this beautiful verse while completely missing the heart of it. I believed my heart was bad and I had to keep it in line or put it on a leash. I, I, I was thinking something like, look out for your wily and deceitful heart because it will get you into all kinds of trouble. The thing is, my heart wasn't bad. My heart isn't bad and neither is yours. Again, it needed to be oriented in the right direction it needed to be purified. I needed to mature, but I disproportionately focused on the guarding part and it really shut me down. Maybe that's just me, but I don't think so. So let me ask you, what's your view of your own heart? Have you even considered what you believe about your own heart? What's your view or value? when it comes to your heart? Do you see it as a wellspring of life or something insignificant or silly? Or perhaps you believe your heart is disordered and must be mastered. Now, listen, I think this conversation, the heart, <laughs> requires some nuance. So let me make it clear what I'm not saying. I do not believe that we should trust or can trust our hearts at face value. In fact, I deplore sentiments like, follow your heart, because frankly, it's not biblical. Our hearts need forming. More accurately, our hearts need conforming into the person of Jesus Christ, because none of us are immune from the effects of original sin. We're all bent in a way. The church calls it concupiscence, which is a desire for lower or earthly things. You see, in the deepest part of us, we desire the good. But because of this concupiscence, because of original sin, we're bent, we're impatient, we're selfish, and the devil is real and convincing. And because of that, we're drawn to things that promise happiness, but actually steal it. And often when it comes to spiritual things, to our highest good, we find ourselves apathetic to what's true and good and beautiful or worse, we're offended by it. And yet we were made for it, the good, the true, the beautiful. And no matter how seemingly convincing the substitute, no matter the sheer quantity of alternatives or the intensity of our attraction to them, we always come back unsatisfied, unfulfilled to this longing. It's the great lie of pornography, right? What we want, all of us in the depths of our soul, is union, to be naked without shame, seen and embraced in a loving relationship. And I'm not only talking about an intimate relationship. I'm not only talking about the marital union. I'm talking about the deepest, truest, most, uh, the spiritual 
desire of our heart, which is at the center of the human person. We desire that union to be naked, to be unveiled without shame before God and in relationship with a loving God. But what pornography gives us, what we get in, in answer to that desire is the opposite. We get loneliness and shame, bondage to a brutal and unrelenting master. So the desire can be twisted, but the heart is good. Your heart is good. Now, I think it might be helpful here to define our terms. When I say heart, and when we read heart in Proverbs 4.23, we need to understand what the author intended. And it's different, I think, than our modern definition of heart. To the Jewish people, for whom the Old Testament was their life and their law, the heart was more than an organ. It was the center of, yes, their physical life, but also their emotional and intellectual life. It was their moral center, the place where they would they understood that we discern and make choices, where we know and understand the heart for the Jewish people represented the whole human person. Now, here it is in the words of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 2653. The heart is the dwelling place where I am, where I live. According to the Semitic or biblical expression, the heart is the place to which I withdraw. The heart is our hidden center beyond the grasp of our reason and of others, only the Spirit of God can fathom the human heart and know it fully. The heart is the place of decision deeper than our psychic drives. It is the place of truth where we choose life or death. It is the place of encounter because as image of God, we live in relationship. It is the place of covenant. Wow. Okay, so for a first century Jew, the heart is the center of human existence. And for the Christian, for you and for me, the heart is the dwelling place of God. Your heart is the place where God lives and where you meet him in prayer. So you can see why this proverb comes with an imperative above all else, right? Vigilance. Some years ago, I was on a a five-day silent retreat, and to begin, my spiritual director asked me to pray with Matthew chapter 6, this whole section, but my, my prayer really centered on verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And as I began my meditation, of course, I was thinking about my own heart, and my own treasure and and kind of where my heart was attracted, where it gravitated, where maybe uh, the desires of my heart had become twisted or disordered. Again, I had that, that lens of being suspicious of my own heart. But as I, I stayed in that holy hour and, and um, meditated on Matthew 6, 21, I discerned the voice of God in my heart speaking that scripture to me in a radically personal way. I was reading the words on the page and yet I heard the Lord say, you are my treasure. My heart is with you. 
You are my treasure. My heart is with you. And this scripture, it was not only for me, it was about me and it's about you too. Your heart is God's treasure. He's attracted to your heart. You're the one he loves and he gives you his heart. Now in the coming weeks, as we uh, enter into and unpack this series, a whole series on Proverbs 4.23, just one verse of sacred scripture, we're going to talk about what we let in our hearts, what's taken up residence already in our hearts, how to protect our hearts for the, the treasure that they are, why purity of heart should become our highest ideal and priority. But this week, I simply want to invite you to reflect on the view and value you hold for your own heart. It's very Advent, if you think about it. I'm not asking you to do anything, but just to observe. How do you perceive your own heart? Because if you don't see the beauty of your own heart, if you don't value it as precious, not only will you not safeguard it, you will risk never being able to trust your own prayer and hear God's voice. That, that, those are the stakes here. If you, if you view your heart as, as wrong or bad or suspicious or uh, of no importance, right? It's unnecessary. You will never fully trust the voice or the presence of God who dwells in your soul, in your heart, in the language of our Jewish brothers and sisters. The God who lives at the center of your being, you won't ever know or trust his voice. So this week, I wanna invite you, as you ask that question, how do I view, how do I value my own heart, to maybe spend some time in Eucharistic adoration, in view of his own sacred heart. And notice your thoughts and feelings, that's it. Just notice your thoughts and feelings about your heart about your deepest desires. Is there bitterness or suspicion? Is there a hardness there or even numbness? Tell Jesus what you find. And then ask him what he thinks of your heart. I think you'll be surprised. Let's pray. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this invitation, this command to come to know the true worth of our hearts, to meet you in the place of our hearts, to be purified by your heart in your heart, that we might be made more into your image. Lord, thank you for, for lifting the veil here for some of us who have been rejecting our own hearts. And Jesus, we repent of that, that contempt that we felt for our own heart. If that's you, tell Jesus that right now. Holy Spirit, I ask you to pour that living water into hearts right now. I ask for a refreshing of hearts. 
especially as we spend time in your precious presence in the Blessed Sacrament. Help us to keep our hearts and your hearts, Lord, at the forefront of our minds this week. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you, friends. See you next week for week two, part two of Heart Check. Bye now.